We've been involved in Operation Christmas Child for a number of years, and uh, many of you have been involved, so thank you for what you've done in years past. As uh, Franklin Graham said, more than 200 million, in fact, 209 million uh, children in the past 30 years have received boxes of uh, school supplies and toys and personal items, and uh, so thank you for being a part of that. 170 countries that are, many of them underdeveloped, uh, that uh, the boxes go to, so Thank you for all that you do, and you'll see a packing party, <clears throat> excuse me, that's coming up on Saturday, November the 11th. You know, there are a, a lot of people today who don't know why they're here. I'm not talking about here in the service. They don't know why they're here on earth. They don't, they don't feel like they have any purpose for being here. And they don't know why they're here. They wander aimlessly through life. They, they go from job to job, from relationship to relationship. No real sense of direction or purpose. They wonder if they're making a difference in the world, a difference in anybody's lives. And because of that sense of purposelessness, many of them contemplate suicide. They contemplate taking their own life. Even believers and so, I think for a Christian, the key to finding your purpose on earth and why you're here and having meaning in life is knowing and using your spiritual gift. Because whenever you know your giftedness and you use it, you, you sense joy in doing that. It's just how God made you. You sense direction. You sense purpose. You, you're fulfilled as a person. You feel like you're doing what God placed you on earth to do. There's not a better feeling in the world than feeling like I'm doing exactly why God put me here. And you're only going to find that through your spiritual gifts. So that's why I believe a study like we're going through is, is vitally important because we're in, in week three of a six-week sermon series understanding and knowing what your spiritual gifts are and how you can use these. So as I go through these seven today, I want you to listen and think, you know, that, that's me. That, that's my giftedness. Maybe you have one of these. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have one of the other 13. But we look in week one, the guidelines to using these spiritual gifts. We saw that gifts are not talents. Talents may be inherited. Maybe your parents gave you your talents. But your spiritual gifts are not genetic. They're from God. And you didn't have them when you were born like a talent. You, you got it when you were saved. God gave you the gifts he wants you to have. We saw that as a guideline. They're to build up the church, not build up you. Now, you're going to feel a sense of fulfillment, but it's not for you. They're, they're for others. No one gift is more important than the other. We saw that as a guideline, too. And then last Sunday, we looked at the ministry gifts, apostles, which are missionaries, pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, teaching, and uh, celibacy. We looked at those six gifts, ministry gifts, last week. Today, we're looking at the motivational gifts. Read with me, Romans 12, starting in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, 
are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, if you remember the past two weeks, I started out by saying the most important thing in life is to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you've not done that, then that's where you start because you don't have any gifts until you're saved. That's called being saved. So this morning, I know we have those here who've never received Christ. If that's you, that's what you need to do first. So the rest of the sermon really isn't toward you. Not just adding Jesus to your life, but submitting all of your life to the Lordship of Christ. If you've never done that through a prayer of faith, do that in a moment when we give you the opportunity. But if you have done that and you've submitted your life to Jesus and you're a believer, which is probably most of us here, then the sermon is directly to you because you may have one of these spiritual gifts. Now, we saw last Sunday uh, and the two Sundays before as well, look on the screen, there are 20 spiritual gifts, no more, no less. The Bible lists all 20 of them. And those are divided in arbitrarily into three groups, ministry gifts, motivational gifts, and manifestation gifts. Last Sunday, we saw from Ephesians 4 the ministry gifts. This morning, we're going to look at seven of the motivational gifts from Romans chapter 12. What do I mean by seven motivational gifts? These are spiritual gifts that whenever you exercise them as a believer, other people or inspired. Other people are motivated because of you using your gift. Now, Paul listed these, seven of them, and he listed them quickly. One theologian said it's like images that flash on a screen real fast. That's how he listed the gifts. Prophecy, teaching, encouragement, leading. And after each one of them, in the Greek, they're emphatic. So imagine after every gift, Paul puts an exclamation point. Prophecy, then prophesy. Leadership, giving, whatever the gift is, he emphasizes it. So, let's look at the seven motivational gifts. Gift number one. Prophecy from verse 6. Prophetia is the Greek word. And maybe, you remember from last week, we talked about prophecy a little bit. Prophecy is not foretelling the future. It's forth-telling God's Word. Sometimes people hear the word prophecy and they think, oh, 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 that's revelation. Oh, that's, that's the end times. Oh, that's what's going to happen in the future. No, no, that's not biblical prophecy. Now, prophecy sometimes included foretelling. That's not what it meant. It meant forth-telling Somebody who stands and boldly says, here is what God has revealed to us. And they sound it forth. It's a prophet. Some people say that could be a preacher. Some people say that could be a teacher. 
But it's somebody who simply declares God's will to interpret the purposes of God and to make the truth of God known. Thus says the Lord. And you share that. Now, question. Is it possible that you have that gift or another teaching gift and you can develop that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some people say, well, Pastor, I, I have the gift of teaching, but I, but I don't really feel, I feel like I'm not as good at it. I, I love studying research, and, but I, I don't feel as good at it as I need to be. Can I develop that? Absolutely. I felt called to ministry, and I went to seminary for six years and studied and got degrees. So to try to better sharpen the tools God's given me, you can as well. So remember, prophecy is telling forth God's revealed word. Sometimes I hear this. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, I, I got a word of prophecy. God gave me a vision. He gave me a dream. Let me share with you what God gave me a dream. Folks, anytime you hear that, red flags should go up. I'd be wary whenever that comes out of a person's mouth. Because you see, God used to do that in biblical days while the Bible was still being written and created and made and lived out. But now that we have God's final, complete, revealed Word, I don't need a vision or a dream. I just go to here. And He shows you. Now, if you don't have access to this in parts of the world, yes, God may work through dreams and visions. But we have it. So there's no need for dreams and visions. Go to this. It tells you everything you need to know. Prophecy, declaring what God has already revealed. Here's motivational gift number two. Serving. Executing the command of another. It's the Greek word diakonia. That word may sound familiar because it's the word we get deacon from. A deacon is a servant. Diakonia, executing not just who you want to go serve and what you want to do, but taking the command of God and going and serving when he's given you that command, and you execute that command. Now, in biblical days, diakonia was, it was not a privilege. It was not a high-ranking office. It was a very menial job. If you were called a diakonia, people just shrugged and went on. Because servants, diakonias, in that day, would, uh, they would wash feet when people entered a room. They'd be the ones to meet you at the door and take your cloak and bend down and wash your feet. They would be the ones waiting on tables whenever you ate. They, they would be the ones that would run and do errands. They were errand boys and girls. They were not highly exalted. But when Jesus came to this earth, he was one of those. Servant. And some of you have the gift of service. Your blessings to our church, by the way. You'll not probably ever be on the platform. You'll probably never be in front of a class. But you're vital to the body. You're just a servant. 
And that's a gift. Now, all of us are to serve, all, every believer, but the gift of service is different. That is, an, that is going above and beyond the usual serving, a unique ability God's given you and gifted you with to serve greater than the normal Christian serves. That's the spiritual gift, diakonia of service. Now, you remember Mary and Martha. They were, they, Jesus came to their home, and Mary's at the feet of Jesus worshiping, and Martha, she's busy in the kitchen. Martha has the gift of service. And so she gets angry at Mary. Enough of this worship stuff. Let's do something for him. And that's how people with the gift of service think. Oh, it's great to gather and sing and worship, but we need to be doing things for Christ. And that's just how they think. Because they're servants. Now, if you have the gift of service today, some of you do, there are some things you need to guard against, I, I believe. One is a bitter spirit when you're not appreciated. Be careful about that. Sometimes if you have the gift of service and people don't mention anything or make over you, sometimes it kind of miffs you a little bit. Be careful about that. Uh, something else I believe you need to guard against if you have the gift of service, and that is meeting physical needs and neglecting spiritual needs. Be careful. Because if you have the gift of service, man, you want to volunteer at the Friendship House, and you're ready to put bicycles together for kids, and you're ready to give food to those that are hungry, and you're ready to, to where people need bills paid, you're ready there to help, and you feel good walking away, and you haven't met one spiritual need. Because their greatest need of all of those is Jesus. So be careful, thinking, if I just meet the physical needs, whoo, I feel good, that's enough. And it's not enough. So be careful. And I think also, if you have the gift of, of serving, you need to be guard against judging those who do not have your gift. Because it's easy for you to think, well, why, why aren't more people doing what I'm doing? Because you're gifted that. And they have gifts you don't. And all gifts are needed. So God bless you with the gift of service. Be wary of those. Motivational gift number three. Teaching instructing. We talked a little bit about it last week. It is the ability to take God's Word and teach it and make it plain. The Bible's hard to understand sometimes. I get that. Studied it for years. Still some passages, I don't know what they mean. It's difficult to understand. But a person with the gift of teaching can take this, explain it to you, and it becomes clear. I've heard people teach before, and students say, Oh, now that makes so much more sense. That's because they have the gift of teaching, of instructing. Didasco is the Greek word. Taking biblical concepts and making them plain. I mentioned last Sunday that if you have this gift, most likely you love, I mean love, study and research. You love it. 
can't get enough of commentary work and you go down rabbit holes into digging into word studies and you just love all putting this together and sharing it with people. You love it. I've never seen anybody with the gift of teaching that hates to do the research. And you're engaging. People love to listen. Now, if you have the gift of teaching, here are a couple things to guard against. Number one, guard against content with no application. Because the bottom line is, people don't need information. They need transformation. And sometimes, teachers think, if I deliver the content, the information, I have done my job. You haven't done your job until application. People can take what you've taught them and realize, here's what I need to do. Because you're content-oriented. Your job's not finished because you've dumped information. Look for transformation. Here's something else to guard against if you're a teacher. Pride. Paul said knowledge puffs up. And sometimes the more knowledge you have, you can get puffed up. So humbly take God's Word, explain it, apply it, and we'll be blessed. Motivational gift number four, encouragement. To call to one's side. Paul used the Greek word for encouragement, parakaleo. That is the exact same word for Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and walks with you. An encourager comes alongside of you and walks with you. Now, all Christians are to be encouragers. Don't get me wrong. But there are some people that are especially gifted that they just lift your spirit. Man, we have some in this congregation, and I want to thank God for you. You know, there are some people that you see coming, and it's like a breath of fresh air. And there are other people you see coming, and they drain your spirit. The encouragers are the ones you see coming, and you light up. I encourage you. So many of you have sent me texts and calls and cards and come by and catch me in the hallway, and you bless my spirit because... You have the gift of encouragement. Some of you have the gift of criticism, but most of you have <laughs> the gift of encouragement. Now, this gift is not telling people what they want to hear. That's not the gift of encouragement. Sometimes we think, okay, I need to encourage somebody. I'm going to tell them what they want to hear. It may be true, may not be true. Or that person may be walking in the ways of sin. Folks, the gift of encouragement rebukes sin when it needs to be rebuked. Somebody may be going down the wrong road, and they need to turn around their lifestyle, their beliefs, their thoughts. The gift of encouragement is not just patting them on the back and saying, now you just keep going. 
The gift of encouragement is God's Word says differently. You need to turn, and I want to encourage you in that. Barnabas. Barnabas in the Bible is an encourager. His name meant son of encouragement. And there in Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul, he was Saul at the time, he got saved, the light from heaven, and he wanted to join the church because he's now a believer. And the church, he was persecuting and killing the church. They thought it was a trap. He's claiming now to be a believer so he can get on the inside and kill us. We don't trust him. And it was Barnabas that spoke up. Put his arm around him and said, Brother Saul, you're one of us. But it was six chapters later, when Paul was in the wrong, that Barnabas sided with John Mark and went with him, the son of encouragement. So it's not just telling people what they want to hear. The gift of encouragement is telling people the truth and loving them on the journey. Motivational gift number five, the gift of giving, to impart your substance. It's a compound Greek word. It's the word didomy, to give something. Meta prefix is put with it. Meta didomy, which means to give powerfully. Now, all of us are to give. He's not saying only those of the gift of, give, the gift of giving need to give. All of us, the Bible commands all of us to be Givers, and it's imparting your substance is what it literally means, things you have. All of us are to do that. I believe all of us are to bring the tithe to God, 10%, what the Old Testament lists for the Israelites, and then the offering is on top of that, every single born-again believer. You don't have to have the gift of giving to tithe and give your offering. That's for all of us. But there are some people who have an unusual ability and joy to give above the tithe, above the offering, and they love it. They, they give to God's work. They give to God's church. They give to God's kingdom. Now, don't give to your kids and help them out and think that's a gift of giving. No, no, it's to God's work, not just your kids because they need it. If you don't do that, that's fine. That's not the gift of giving. The gift of giving is having a joy of helping other people mature towards spiritual faith through blessings of giving and what a joy that is. Now, financial giving, or rather gift of giving, is financial. It's not just, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my time. Well, praise God for giving your time, but you owe more than that. Well, I'm going to give my talents. I, I can't give my resources, so I'm, I'm going to give my talents. Praise God for your talents. You can give that too, but that's not all you owe. It's literally giving here, metodidomy, is financial resources, your substance, what you have. Usually people with this gift, they don't want any praise or recognition. They, they do most of it anonymously. Now, there are some people that give that let you know, hey, I gave, here's how much I gave. They like for you to know. But those with the spiritual gift of giving, they never want praise or recognition to go to them. They just love doing it. 
And you may say, well, well pastor, I, I'm not wealthy, so I don't have the gift of giving. You don't have to be wealthy to have the gift of giving. You don't. In fact, not every wealthy person has the gift of giving. Some of them are greedy and stingy. And some who don't have as much love to give what they have. It's not a matter of how much you have. It's a matter of your spiritual giftedness. Spiritually gifted people with the gift of giving ask, they don't ask, how much do I have to give? They ask, how much do I need to live on? Because they love giving it. The spiritual gift of giving also is not a desire to give what you don't have. I hear a lot of people, boy, pastor, if I just won that lottery, oh, I would give, oh, I'd give uh, so much to the Lord's work. No, you wouldn't. If you don't give it now, you won't then. So the spiritual gift of giving is not, oh, I wish I had more so I could give more. It's a desire to give what you have. That's the gift. It's a recognition of God's blessings and a desire to give generously, sacrificially, and cheerfully to the work of God. Motivational gift number six, the gift of leadership. To superintend or to be over. It's another compound word, the word Greek word histomy with the word prefix pros, and it literally means step forward. It's that picture, stepping forward with your foot. It means somebody who takes the lead. And there are some of you with that gift. You have a desire to accomplish goals for the glory of God, to cast vision, to inspire, to motivate, to organize, to direct people, to accomplish the purposes of God. People with a gift of leadership see a need and they step up. You don't have a gift of leadership if you say, I see a need, somebody else needs to do it. I see a need, I'm going to do it. Or I'm going to lead a group to do it. That's the gift of leadership. Bringing chaos into order, bettering the kingdom through your gifts. Now, people with the gift of leadership inspire you they don't bring you down if you have a leader over you who brings you down and discourages you they don't have the gift of leadership they're just in a position true gift of leadership inspires you brings you up lifts you up listen to Billy Graham on the gift of leadership Billy Graham said quote Spiritually gifted leaders are not dictatorial. They are not egotistical and they are not narcissistic. They're humble. They're gracious. But they're firm. In the Bible, Graham says, this gift was the opposite of pomp and pageantry. It was practical leadership that inspired others to follow you know what we've got a lot of really good spiritual leaders at this church and I, I thank God for you you're exercising your giftedness and we need you 
and I'm thankful for you. Remember, spiritual leaders are not narcissistic or egotistical or dictatorial. It's not about them. It's about the kingdom. And then spiritual gift number seven, motivational gift number seven, the last one, mercy. To help one afflicted. It's the Greek word ilios. It's a supernatural gift God gives that sometimes is overlooked and often misunderstood. It is the unique ability to show compassion and kindness and understanding. Now, don't get me wrong. All believers, we're supposed to be merciful. And it's part of of the fruit of the Spirit. We should do that. But there are some of you who have an unusual ability to show compassion and kindness and understanding. The ability to empathize and support and help and uplift and empower those people who are suffering and hurting in distress. They don't just see a need and say, boy, I feel badly about that and do nothing about it. If you have the gift of mercy, you see the need and you act. You see, mercy is not a feeling. It's an action. A lot of people, boy, I sure feel for them. That's really bad, isn't it? And then they keep going and get into their own life. But the people who see it and take actions to meet it, those are the ones with the gift of mercy. Those people, are, they're, they're naturally drawn to others in need. They champion the cause of the lowly and the exploited and the forgotten. They're usually sensitive people. They're usually good listeners. They're usually gentle. And they are often need to be needed. But there are some things to guard against if, if you have the gift of mercy. Sometimes those people with the gift of mercy allow others to become dependent upon them. They don't need to be dependent upon you. They need to be dependent upon God. So guard against that, that they become dependent upon you. And sometimes those with the gift of mercy, they're quick to rescue and maybe God doesn't want a person rescued immediately. Maybe, maybe the journey they're going through is part of his will for their life, and then you come and snatch them out of it. You don't be too quick to rescue. Because sometimes those of the gift of mercy are. Sometimes we get too emotional. Sometimes they're worriers. And sometimes they avoid conflict. But those with the gift of mercy are great blessings to the body of Christ. And I thank God for you that have it. Now, all seven. It has been said that prophecy is the voice of the body. Service the hands of the body. Teaching the mind of the body. Encouragement the spirit of the body, 
giving the arms of the body, leadership, the eyes of the body, and mercy, the heart of the body. All seven gifts that when you exercise those, other people are inspired and motivated to serve God better and walk with God stronger. Thank you for your gifts. Some of you may remember Jack Kemp before he died of cancer a few years ago. Jack Kemp was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from New York for 17 years. He was the United States Secretary of Housing and Urban Development for four years under George H.W. Bush. He was Vice President running mate of Bob Dole, 1996 presidential election. I, I remember Jack Kemp from the time I was about that high because I had his football card. Jack Kemp, before he was a politician, was a professional football player. He was a quarterback in the old AFL as well as the NFL. He primarily quarterbacked the San Diego Chargers and the Buffalo Bills, and he did it for 13 years. He was in five championship games. He was the MVP of one championship game in 65. He was in the All-Star game seven times, and he has many passing records that he set. Jack Kemp in college went to a tiny little school called Occidental in downtown Los Angeles. He said, I just always saw myself as average. I just wanted to be a quarterback for a little Occidental. That's all. Not go further. Just quarterback in my college, and I was average in college, and I was just an average person, an average player, I thought, until I met my coach, Peyton Jordan. Here's a picture of Jack Kemp and Peyton Jordan together. And Jack Kemp said it was Peyton Jordan that called him in one day and said, Jack, you have greatness written all over you. He said, why? Yeah. Jack, you could be a great quarterback, not just an average one. In fact, whatever area of life you go into, you have greatness written all over you. You, you be encouraged in that. You're more than just an occidental quarterback. And he said for the first time in his life, somebody, his coach, saw something in him that came true. Greatness. And you know, people who see those things in us are blessings. But people with a spiritual gift of motivational gifts that inspire you to be greater in the kingdom of God are even greater blessings. And that's some of you. Father, I want to thank you today for the spiritual gifts that you've given to us. Lord, many people sitting out here and some watching online, they, they have some of these. I just pray, Lord, that you would, you would empower us to use those in the way you desire. God, I'm sure there are people sitting out there, they have some of these gifts and they're not using them. They're missing the blessing and so are we. So God, may they make a commitment today. They're going to use the motivational gifts you've given and Lord, I mentioned at the first of the service about those who don't know you as Savior. I pray right now that I have courage to step out 
and make the greatest decision they need to make today, and that's to receive Jesus. It's in his name I pray.